You're listening to a Natural Products Insider podcast, now on Google Play. With Rachel Adams, Managing Editor. Brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast. My name is Rachel Adams. I'm Managing Editor of Natural Products Insider. And today I have with me on the phone, Roy Bingham, CEO and co-founder of BDS Analytics. Hi, Roy. How are you? I'm very well, Rachel. Nice to be here. (laughs) I'm glad to have you here. Uh, Roy presented at UNPA's annual retreat in May in Charleston uh, about the market for CBD, hemp, and and cannabis. Um, He he presented some pretty interesting data and insights, um, and we get to pick his brain about that today, so I'm very excited. Uh, Without further ado, I'll get into my first question, and it's a simple one. I would just like to give our audience some background information on BDS analytics. Uh, Roy, can you tell us a little bit about what markets you serve and what kind of research you do? Yeah, absolutely. So we started BDS Analytics four years ago when we realized that the cannabis industry in North America was going to grow rapidly and there was no one established to provide accurate uh, market tracking data for the industry. So uh, if you like, we were inspired by spins in the natural products industry. And in fact, way, way, way back, I was uh, an investor in spins when it got started. So um, I'd also worked at Renew Life for many years and used data from IRI and Nielsen as well as spins. And we saw that this was going to be necessary in the cannabis industry. And so uh, we started the company. We now have 45 employees uh, and we're dedicated not just to the dispensary channel and the cannabis industry data, uh, but also to CBD or other cannabinoids that are sold outside the dispensary channel, excluding THC. Uh, Yesterday, we announced our partnership with IRI. We're going to be working with them to organize uh, sales in general retail uh, into cannabinoid categories as well. Uh, So that uh, gives us a fantastic opportunity to share with our clients what's going on in both the cannabis world and the broader world of general retail of cannabinoid products. Yeah, it is exciting. It's something we've been working on for quite some time. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. I look forward to uh, seeing more of those insights in the future. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it's been exciting. Obviously, the cannabis industry is probably the fastest-growing major uh, consumer product industry in America at the present time and perhaps worldwide. Um, And that's, of course, why we got into it, was growth is very attractive. Um, And I'm sure it's exciting for the listeners as well to think about, especially the potential with other cannabinoids. Uh, but it's important to understand the uh, beginning point really is the legalization and growth of the cannabis industry here. Right, and that's actually a fantastic point and segue into my first, well, my second question, um, because it's, it's about that It's almost that like I knew what now. you were going to ask me, and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm not very, um, what is the word, like surprising? I, I'm predictable. There we go. Um, but right, so can you talk a little bit about that evolution of the cannabis market um, and then kind of how that's impacted CBD and hemp and what we're seeing today in the market? Yeah, absolutely. So just uh, first off in sort of macro trends, let's get our idea of the scale of the cannabis industry. 
And this is the legal cannabis industry products that are sold in licensed dispensaries. Um, and in uh, globally, we project that to be a $30 billion industry by 2022. Oh. Uh, with the United States being by far the largest player globally, representing about $22 billion of that. In uh, this year, it's about a $13 billion industry. Um, so that, you know, that puts the overall context behind it. Of course, it is concentrated in the big Western states that have had uh, the adoption of adult use especially. So starting off with Colorado, then Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Arizona, California, um, but now expanding to other states on the East Coast, like Massachusetts, of course. Um, Michigan is another huge market. New York and New Jersey are expecting to make major moves in legalization. So we've got a kind of hyper-growth industry that is based on um, very rapid growth from one state and then legalization in another and, and rapid growth there. And now, in terms of the characteristics of the cannabis industry, I suppose many of the listeners have never been into one of these dispensaries. Uh, you know, it, it started off four or five years ago where about 80% of everything that was sold was essentially a bag of weed. It was um, flour sold in a brown paper bag. Um, kind of like, for those of you who've been in the natural products industry for 20 plus years like me, you know, like when you used to go into a health food store and half of the product that was being sold there was in the bulk bins, and it was the oats and the um, and the flowers and the nuts, etc. Well, that evolution has been very rapid in the dispensary channel now. Flour sold loose only represents about 40% of total sales by revenue. 60% of sales is branded product. It's um, boxed and branded pre-rolled product, but especially concentrates is mainly sold for use in vaporizers and ingestibles, basically edibles and beverages uh, and tinctures have taken off in a big way as well. So that's where most of the growth has been in the industry. And that's all branded, packaged, consumer products, the kind of thing that you'd expect to see one day on the shelves of CVS or uh, Whole Foods Market for that matter. Right, that's very interesting. So I imagine you would walk into a dispensary because I actually I'm one of those people who hasn't been in a dispensary, but it probably is starting to look very much like a CVS or a standard retailer, which is quite an evolution. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it, originally, you know, that flour was um, just sold in a big jar and they would spoot it out for you and put it into a bag and weigh it and give it to you. None, none of it was branded. Um, but now it's products in boxes on shelves and you still have to have a bud tender, an individual who hands you the product. Um, that's mm -hmm. a unique characteristic of the legal situation. Um, but you're, they're basically hand, handing you something that you could imagine buying off the shelf anywhere else. Very interesting. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the interplay or if there is an interplay, um, has this evolution we've seen in the cannabis market and the growth of the cannabis market, has that impacted how consumers see CBD? Has it impacted, or, or hemp, um, has it impacted the hemp and CBD market? Can you talk a little bit about that interplay? Yeah, I think this is really fascinating. Uh, most of the interest in CBD 
you know, the, what's happening in the licensed dispensary channel is a precursor of what's now beginning to happen in the broader general retail and natural foods channel for CBD. Uh, we survey uh, uh, consumers, well, we survey the general public, whether they are consumer or what we call an acceptor or a rejecter. And interestingly, 37% of adults that are 21 plus in the fully legal U.S. states, you know, the 10 states, including the Western states that I mentioned, 37% uh, have consumed a cannabinoid product in the past six months. Now, when we go into the detail and we say, well, how much of that was hemp-derived and therefore CBD uh, that you might be able to buy online or in, uh, in general retail, uh, and how much of it was marijuana-derived, you see there's a major overlap between the consumers. Um, and many of them are purchasing hemp-derived product and marijuana-derived product mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, but the current um, marijuana-derived market is much bigger today uh, than the general retail hemp-derived CBD market. That won't always be the case. So we've seen, and um, we track very carefully in great detail uh, attributes and product categories in the dispensary channel, and we've seen the CBD share of products go from about 2% of what's sold in dispensaries in 2014 all the way up to 11% by 2018, at well wow. over a billion dollars in sales now. So it's been one of the, in this incredibly fast-growing market, CBD products have been the hottest of all, um, wow. whether they're sold in the form of concentrates or whether it's very high CBD strains of flour uh, or whether it's ingestibles or topicals, topicals being a very big category for uh, CBD product growth as well. Um, now, Roy, are so, those products, oh, sorry, I just want to clarify, ahead. are those products low, T, low THC products as well or are some of those in the dispensary combination of low THC, high THC, and high CBD? Yes. So those products that I just mentioned, those uh, CBD products, they probably nearly all include some THC in them as well. Number one, it's very di difficult from marijuana-derived product to eliminate all of the CBD uh, you know, at, at, at an analytic level. Uh, but number two, quite a lot of these products will have a ratio of, say, 10 to 1 of CBD THC. And so we uh, categorize all of those products really by identifying whether people are primarily choosing them for their CBD content. Uh, but you're right, they will mostly include some THC in, in them as well. And that is, of course, an interesting area of discussion uh, and research is, is CBD as effective if it doesn't, if it doesn't come together with some THC? I honestly haven't heard I haven't heard much to that effect as in terms of if there's an answer for that. Have you? I've heard opinions, but I haven't seen any <laughs> real science on it. Um, yeah, no, I've heard people say, you know, if there isn't some element of THC with it, it's not going to be effective or it's going to be less effective. But then, of course, we have an approved drug now in the form of GW Pharmaceuticals product, which is a CBD-only product. Um, so we know right. that CBD on its own is effective for Dravet syndrome um, for those people with children with seizures in particular, and therefore, you know, it's having some systemic effect on a certain percentage of the population. And 
Uh, the research will be ongoing, and um, of course, research hasn't been uh, easy to do on this particular topic, and therefore there isn't very much yet. Right. And so, uh, going back to something you said, I had a question popped into my head there. Um, you had mentioned that that the market for CBD in dispensaries, and correct me if I'm wrong here, or if I have my my lingo off, um, but that's a larger market versus 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 CBD. Um, through standard retailers or through like online channels, for example. Uh, do you yes. have any idea as to why that is? Could it be because of you know the the, the kind of the it's, difficult climate um, around CBD or just market? Yeah, it's because the it's because the CBD train in general retail is only just beginning to chug out of the mm -hmm. station. Uh, Whereas in dispensaries, you know, CBD products have been available for several years now. Um, but if you look at the other channels like uh, grocery, drug, mass, natural vitamin, convenience, pet vet, et cetera, it's really just starting right now. Um, right. And so we, we estimate that the 2018 U.S. CBD market was $1.8 billion, of which 65% was in dispensaries. But we see a tremendous amount of growth coming in the other 35% of those uh, non-dispensary channel um, uh, general retail stores. And of course, a lot of the reason for that is regulatory uncertainty. Um, right, and many absolutely. players being advised by their attorneys, well, let's wait, let's see what the farm bill says, let's see what exactly the regulations are going to be. And of course, there's a uh, general public meeting going on tomorrow with the FDA where people should be learning a little bit more. But um, uh, some companies, of course, have said, well, we'll plow ahead anyway. Um, and other companies, uh, especially the biggest companies who have perhaps the most to lose, are being very cautious. Right, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, CBD, despite the the exciting market evolution, I mean, I think it still faces some challenges, one of those being the regulatory challenges. Um, but you, you presented a really interesting stat at the UNPA retreat that I want to talk a little bit about right now. Um, and again, correct me if I have this um, off, uh, but you had said that it's, 69... It's disturbing. That I, I presented hundreds of stats and only one of them was really interesting. <laughs> oh, no, there were several really interesting ones, but this one really caught my attention. I wrote it down in my notes and then I also went back. Uh, yeah, I've reviewed your your presentation since then, but um, I just I just think this could be a, a big deal, so that's why I want to bring it up. Uh, so you said that 69% of consumers are either incorrect or they don't know if there are differences in the effects of THC and CBD. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, so, so we've surveyed 70,000 people now um, in both the United States and Canada and in fact, we do it state by state, province by province, and then national uh, on a statistically significant basis. And uh, yes, we found, in fact, in Canada and the US, it was exactly the same. 69% of the population surveyed, and since it's a projectable population at 69% of the total, uh, believe that there are no differences in the effects of CBD or THC. Um, which of course is uh, a concern, you know, it, they're, they're incorrect. Um, it may mean that a vast number of the uh, percentage of the population 
are expecting to feel high, relaxed, sleepy in some way uh, when they take a CBD product uh, in the way that they would expect with THC, and they're going to be disappointed for the most part. Um, and in fact, we also asked them, you know, does any product containing hemp uh, cause effects such as feeling high, relaxed, sleepy, etc.? To clarify on this, and 65% in Canada and 66% in the U.S. said um, they got it wrong, or they said I don't know. Um, mm. So there is. Um, a lot of uh, enthusiasm around CBD related it to it coming from cannabis and hemp and being a cannabinoid uh, and maybe having psychoactive effects that um, are not going, are going to be dissatisfied. And this is one of the concerns about whether CBD could be a bubble. Um, and of course, we've seen that so many times in the nutraceuticals world where there was um, too much hype around something. People got carried away, and then they said, oh, it didn't seem to work, or I didn't notice any difference, or the science later um, said it's not as spectacular as we originally thought. Uh, so right. we took all that into account very extensively when we were doing our projections for the CBD market, and yet we still came up with very substantial growth projections. Um, we believe that the uh, CBD market in general retail channels is a $20 billion market by 2024. Um, sorry, wow. that includes a little bit of pharmaceutical, about $2.2 billion and about $4 billion of dispensary. So it's about a $15 billion opportunity in general retail. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, but that definitely is, you know, um, I think that's one of the challenges that CBD faces right now is that, you know, the, the science hasn't quite caught up with the consumer interest, but um, that's encouraging news for those, you know, uh, for the industry, I suppose, if you're looking at CBD as a huge source of opportunity, which I think a lot of people are, um, that it's still expected to see that kind of growth. Yeah, so I think the uh, what's happened in the cannabis dispensary space is a guide to what is going to happen. You know, in a way, you could regard the people in dispensaries as being a bit more expert on this particular topic. Um, and so mm -hmm. they things like sublinguals and topicals with high CBD uh, have grown very rapidly, and virtually all sublinguals and topicals, uh, you know, over 80% contain high CBD content because that's where the demand seems to be. You know, edibles and concentrates also, uh, there are a number of those products that also have high CBD, but it's much lower. It's only uh, 8 to 20% of the total product base. So sublinguals and topicals uh, seem very exciting when we expand to um, other product categories. Um, but we also expect um, supplements, uh, mm -hmm. beverages, food, pet care, um, and confection to be significant uh, categories as well. So right now, though, you're just seeing the most interest and growth in that sublinguals and topicals when it comes to the hemp CBD market, or is that the marijuana CBD market? That's what we've seen in the marijuana CBD market, okay. and I just think it's reasonable to expect quite a lot of that to carry over. And of right. course, uh, topicals anyway are perceived to be a lower regulatory risk, um, mm -hmm. which is interesting because 
uh, actually from a legal standpoint they may actually be uh, just as dangerous because if they if you're uh, if you have a topical that has a pharmaceutical effect then it's a medical device um right. but nonetheless C CVS and um uh, which other stores? Walgreens, perhaps. Yeah, Walgreens have already said that in certain states they're going to introduce, or they've already introduced, uh, some topical products. I guess the right, perception is that it's you know just less risky than uh, than something you consume. Right. Consume well, it'll be definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, how things play out from the regulation standpoint because there's a lot of different ideas uh, floating around, but like. You mentioned on um, your point earlier, there's a lot of opinions, <laughs> um, and I feel like missing some of that concrete support that, that's needed. Yes, yeah, no, no question about it. And it takes a long time. It takes a long time to have really high-quality research. I was uh, involved uh, in the medium early stages of you know pharmaceutical-grade omega-3 and that was built on a foundation of research that was done over 10 to 15 years. And uh, I was also with Renew Life working on probiotics uh, for seven years. And again, you know, the research, we, we now have 20 years of very credible research on probiotics. Um, but there are, you know, there's still a wealth of additional work being done. Um, so I right. think uh, cannabinoid research, you know, if anybody's uh, children are uh, scientists, uh, I would encourage them to think about the cannabinoid uh, area for uh, a career. You know, it's definitely exciting to think that one day, you know, 20 years from now, people will say, oh, my gosh, I remember back when and CBD was a racket. It was, it was all the rage, but nobody really yes. knew where it was going to go. Yes, yeah. Uh, I do think it's an area, you know, that has, based upon the limited science that I've seen and my limited understanding of that science, it it justifies the enthusiasm. Um, right. You know, the the body has an endocannabinoid system that is responsive to cannabinoids, and that is quite well studied. Now it's just a question of which particular applications for which particular conditions, what kind of dosage, etc. Uh, a huge right. amount of work still to be done. Um, but you know you've got an active ingredient there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I should also emphasize, you know, we've talked a lot about CBD. I tend to use the term CBD as shorthand. Um, the re reality is there are several hundred cannabinoids in the mm -hmm. cannabis and hemp plants. And the research uh, beyond CBD is also ongoing. So there, in addition to THC research, you have CBG, CBN, many other uh, cannabinoids, as well as the terpenes that are associated with, um, with these products as well, that are likely effective in some way as well, whether individually or collectively. So. Uh, tremendous amount of work to be done on uh, if, uh, the efficacy of combination products too. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess my my final question for you is what, um, as I had, uh, you know, our audience is ma is mainly manufacturers of um, dietary supplements and natural products and marketers of those products as well. So considering yes. that audience, what would you say is um, the the big takeaway from the data you have in terms 
of the market or how you see the market progressing? Yeah, so I think in the nutraceutical dietary supplement world, um, this is a very large opportunity uh, with cannabinoids. Um, it's not without some risk, and it certainly requires a lot more research. Um, but I don't think you're going to understand this opportunity if you don't enter it relatively soon. There are already a few nutraceutical companies, quite highly respected companies, that already have products on the market. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I think there will be a massive evolution from those initial initial products. And I just believe that it's uh, important to get in the game in order to understand the game and in order eventually to be one of the winners uh, in this business opportunity. I, I, I know there are risks. I know your attorneys will tell you not to do certain things. And uh, of course, you should be cautious and protect your core business. Um, and it may be an area in, where, in which people say, well, I'm going to develop a separate brand or even a separate entity. Um, but the nutraceuticals world has tremendous skills developed over a long time together with quality and GMP certification, et cetera. And at the moment, you're competing with um, CBD and cannabis companies that don't have that level of sophistication, don't have that manufacturing quality control in place, and are not very regulated. They're regulated at the state level and not in such a sophisticated way as the dietary supplement world. That will change. Eventually, they will have to bring up their standards to the level um, of the GMP-certified nutraceuticals companies. So why not take advantage of the fact that you already are at that level um, and introduce um, cannabinoid products as well. Right. So the idea would be to proceed, but proceed with, I would say, consideration. Not listening, caution, I suppose, but really just be considerate of the market, the market challenges, and um, like you said, protecting your core business while also being aware yes, of the opportunity. Yes, Yeah, and of course, be super conscious of things like making inappropriate statements and claims, etc., um, you know, the credible companies in the nutraceutical industry understand all of that. You're going to see people coming uh, with, with CBD products and making foolish statements. And eventually, okay. and some of them have already been wrapped over the knuckles, um, eventually they're, they're going to be shut down or they're going to have to stop doing that. Um, and the reality is right now you don't need to make any structure function statements about CBD the consumer out there is waiting for credible companies to launch CBD products so that they can try it because they believe in it. Yeah, absolutely. Most definitely. I would, I would agree with that. Well, thank you so much, Roy. This has been incredibly interesting and insightful, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. It's my pleasure. Yeah, please um, check us out at bdsanalytics.com. Um, and... Uh, we have you know, comprehensive data on consumers and what their attitudes, behaviors, beliefs are around these products. And of course, uh, massively in-depth data from a billion transactions that we process through our system uh, on cannabis products. And now through our partnership with IRI, massive uh, data with regard to cannabinoids in the general retail uh, world as well. So which products are trending, which product categories are growing fastest, and which brands are succeeding with which individual items at what price point. All of that good data that um, people are used to from uh, 
spins, IRI, Nielsen, etc., but as it applies uh, to the cannabinoid world. Awesome. Thank you so much, Roy. This episode has been brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas.